You are listening to Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast. Swung on, lines the deep left field, it is gone! It went, deep right, Batista's going to wave goodbye, start the fireworks show! This is Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, episode 128. I am your host, Matt Lyons, and this week's episode... Trevor Bauer is now on the Reds. The Indians acquired Fran Mel Reyes, Yasiel Puig, Logan Allen, and a couple prospects. What does the rotation look like now without Trevor Bauer and with whoever's coming back from the DL and whoever's going back on the DL? Speaking of Danny Salazar, before we get into all that, I want to thank everybody listening live now. Or not live, but whenever you listen on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you do. Um, if you're listening, leave us a review, let us know, and join me for all that and more is none other than Mr. Merritt Rothing. Merritt, how you doing? You know, it's amazing to think that we, you and I, have done 128 of these episodes. Isn't it amazing? Truly Every amazing. Every single one. Don't, nobody fact check that. It's been us the whole time. Listen, there's no point in going <laughs> it's back and listening. Show from the beginning. Yeah, no, no point in listening to old episodes of a baseball podcast. It's all, it's all topical stuff. You won't get anything out of it. So I'm going to start skipping three or four episodes ahead of time just to see when it, we're like episode 500 by december and see if anybody notices and then i love it I love the that's idea. how you build clout merit you just lie and duplicate your numbers until you're good no exactly listen that's called that's being good works. at marketing marketing is lying <laughs> all right i mean that's just it's just facts facts is facts baby now speaking of marketing merit we got we're gonna start with our meatball segment and you know what you know what Ugh. podcasts need more than anything merit tell me matthew they need audio bumpers oh god meatballs all right, Mary, this is our meatball segment. Now with an audio bumper at the beginning. Maybe the end. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Oh, we're delivering you guys time. some nice meatballs over the oh, plate. It's disgusting. <laughs> so my first one um, is Yasiel Puig. If he hit a ball, I'd assume if you could hear it, it would sound like that meat slapping sound because he just shreds the ball. As we've seen with the Indians. <laughs> In his first game. Um, he shreds the the cover, Merritt. It sounds like meat. Keep up. Would you keep up with the meat? But anyway, in his first game, he hit a ball 108 miles per hour. In his second game, he hit one 108 miles per hour. It's it's ridiculous how hard this guy hits the ball. And we've seen it already. I know one of yours, I won't spoil what it is, but he also has exit velocity the other direction. So it's it's incredible everything Puig does. Just the general bigness of Puig and Fran Mel Reyes as well. It's um, like, like Puig's 107 was one of the Indians' highest hits of the year. And then Reyes topped it. <laughs> Like a little bit later, his was an out. I think both of them were outs. I know Puig's, Puig's was for sure, and I think Fernando Reyes's was too. And then, I mean, we've seen we've seen Puig steal. We saw him get thrown out poorly. <laughs> we saw him do some fun stuff already, and it's just fun to see. And uh, since August first, Reyes and Puig entering play Sunday of the ten hardest hit balls um, of the Indians in that span, five of them are between Puig and Reyes. So, no matter what you think about the trade, it's obvious the Indians got really hard hitting players and. They've already shown us through Puig and, and Reyes that they can mash the hell out of the ball. So, And that, I mean, that I was going to talk about it as one of mine, but um, since you brought it up, Reyes's first hit as an Indian was insane when you really go back and watch it. The pitch was basically at his shoulders, which is not a pitch you should be able to A, get any real bat on, or B, be able to do anything to. And it was a ground ball single, you know, that he pulled um, past his shortstop. But he just hit the, just hit the hell out of it. And... Like you said, that's just what they do. They're the that if you go on a baseball savant and you look at their their various graphs, all of Framil Reyes's batted ball stuff is just jacked all the way to the you know the ninety ninth percentile basically, and it's truly magical. And Puig's is a little player. lower now, but I think there might be a little bit of the fact that he was on the Reds. It didn't. I mean, he's an emotional guy, so maybe we can count on the fact that it's a playoff race now, and he'll get back to hitting the ball super hard. 
I don't know. That's just kind of my hope. His is a little bit lower. Like you said, Reyes is jacked all the way just, up. Just but. slammed all the way to the just. There's there's no there's, there's no more room. He, the the man is a purpose built to do one thing, and that's just destroy baseballs. And it's fun that he gets to do it with the Indians for the next half decade. So do you have another one besides the one that I stole? I think the most amazing thing that he did in his debut and has done several times since, um, in what like four or five short games. Uh, just it's what made everyone one of the many reasons that people went wow when he first came to the majors back all those years ago for the Dodgers but that just I swear he threw a ball with his foot against the outfield wall Um, this was again a game against the Astros bases were loaded at the time and Michael Brantley flew out to right field and he caught on the warning track and threw just I mean, it wasn't a line shot. It had much more of a pair. Like, it was less of a cruise missile and more of like an ICBM, basically. But it just fired out of his hand and, and held whoever was at second base from tagging up, which is quite a feat in its own right. T- tagging from second to third with, with when the right fielder has the ball on the warning track should be, you know, a, a rote thing. You just are able to do that because you can. But instead, no, no, he was unable to do that. Because, again, we have a man who is, I'm pretty sure, half missile. He does that with his arm he does it with the bat he flies with reckless abandon around the base pads there's a reason there's many reasons why uh uh, vin scully nicknamed him the wild horse um and this is one of those many reasons he just has such i mean it's that whole last game of the series against the astros i thought they the astros did a great job of demonstrating what great outfield defense and the impact of great arms across the outfield can do uh seeing that and also having Naquin in the, in the left field and just Mercado's ability to run out and go and get it everywhere is a reminder the Indians can do that now too. And especially with Puig. I mean, that's, I don't know how the numbers in front of me, that's got to be one of the five or six best arms in all of baseball when it comes to outfield uh, players. Just, just incredible. Just, I, there's, there's nothing better than, not even outfield assist, but just uh, but what he does. And you mentioned when, before we started um, recording, holding guys to singles on a, on a, on a, on a you know, a, a batted ball to the outfield that that shouldn't happen most times. These guys are great athletes. Not being able to go from first to you know from home to second on a ball that basically goes to the outfield wall. Um, that's near and unheard there's, of. There's days. not even a throw on those either. It's the best part. Like he just has the yeah. ball and they know they can't. He run. He just winks at them and <laughs> they go oh, twice goodness. against the Angels. <laughs> yeah. So and like I mean, granted, if it's Albert Pujols, that's one thing. But like they have they have good, very good players there who are athletes, and he just bottles them up. It's it's the it's one of those little things that you that don't show up in the box score and having a player like player like that really um it's nice to see I guess it's nice to not see on the other side too if that makes sense <laughs> yes and it's nice that the couple of throws we saw I noticed they did the the good camera work where they zoomed it out instead of going straight to where the ball was going I thought yes. that was good it seems like whoever's operating at least a progressive field they get it like that's how you record an awesome throw, and they've they framed it so well. Every time Twig has thrown it, and it's great, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you, you have to give it a sense of perspective. You know, you need to, if anything, pull it out as much as possible so you can really see how far he's throwing it and the ability that he's able to hold guys from doing whatever they're doing. Um, so my next meatball is another generational talent who goes by the name of Jason Kipnis, uh, who's had a a slow season to say the worst, to say the least, so far. Um, Entering play Sunday, he had an 81 WRC plus. He slashed 251, 313, 395 with 10 home runs. Not a great season. He started slow. There was there was a time where I sincerely thought that Brad Miller was going to take over his spot because he just was not good, and Brad Miller was actually looking. I mean, he could hit a couple home runs, and they eventually just got rid of him because they didn't need him because Kipnis was hitting well at one point, and then he dipped again, and then he got well again, then he dipped again, and now he's on a really good streak. Um, going back to July 4th was just kind of arbitrary a month 
from this recording has 108 WRC plus in that span. He's he's batting 287, 354, 471. So he's he's doing a lot better. He's back to I don't know if this is quite peak Jason Kipnis, but this is at least effective Jason Kipnis, which considering he's no longer the cleanup batter, he's like the seventh or eighth. That's a that's a huge upgrade for what they have. And I was looking at baseball savant has these new what they call rolling window leaderboards, which are really cool. They they show um, basically the trend of expected WOBA, which is based on your it takes exit velocity, launch angle, and depending on the type of hit, it takes your speed. Like if it's a dribbler, you should be expected to beat that out if you're fast enough. And then it calculates how what your WOBA should be based on all that, as opposed to what actually it is. It takes out bad luck and that kind of thing. And over the last 50 plate appearances, Kipnis is the eighth best trending player, meaning over his his last 50 compared to the 50 before that, He's the eighth best in terms of how much he's improved, which is a big thing that shows that just and, and how he's approaching and hitting the ball alone has, has dramatically went up for him, regardless of any luck that happens or any kind of other things that we can't quite see. So he's there's clearly something going on that he's found the the stroke for a little while. I, I believe earlier this season at one point we thought he did and then it kind of faded, but maybe this drop in the lineup will be good for him if there's some mental thing there. But I don't know. It's just fun that Jason Kipnis is the seventh or eighth hitter now and he's not he's not terrible he's the he has he's an above average hitter at worst and maybe a pretty good hitter at best if you can carry it through the rest of the season and it's going to make the decision maybe at the end of the year not not difficult but there's at least some thought into it now to give him i think he has a pretty big option coming up or if it's a qualifying offer i'm not quite sure well and it's nice to, I mean, he, he he turned in i know he's always talked about how he's not you know it's an option the whole launch angle thing and all that crap yeah um but if you look at his any of his numbers, any of like the you know the the, the stat casting numbers from last year, there was definitely a market. I don't know if it was on, on, by accident or on purpose. There was definitely a, a market effort by him to start hitting the ball in the air more. And I don't know if that's finally starting to pay off, and he's healthy or whatever. But I mean, we've seen it a few times now where, where it's a, there's a transition point. You know, I, I you saw that a little bit with uh, uh, the shortstop on the White Sox. Um, Commanders. Tim Anderson, who was not great last year by any stretch of the imagination, but there was definitely an effort by him to start trying to hit the ball up more and, and you know, just basically, again, kind of not be just a ground ball, you know, your typical ground ball kind of a pitcher. And there was definitely a, a change in how he hit the ball more. I mean, he was hitting for more, a little more power, a little more this and that, but it just wasn't there. And then this year, of course, he has his massive breakout. You know, he's, I think he's hurt right now, or he was hurt for a while, but, you know, he's, um, OPS jump by 125 points or whatever. Uh, more again, more power, more this and more that. He's walking less, but striking out less too. And I, I wonder if this is just um, a delayed reaction to that. I mean, it, it could not be. But again, I, I just I remember I wrote about this last year, and I just kind of expected after I saw, saw dividends pay a delayed dividend be paid um, in other guys who were doing a similar thing. I was wondering if there would be a a payoff down the road for him at all. And maybe that's what this is. Maybe it's just a hot streak because he's known for those as well, but maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, he always seems to have these little mini epiphanies. You remember like last year, he did the whole magazine in a hotel room and he found his yeah. hands and then he was just terrible again. So I never seem to know. And it's so his, his contract next year is a, tw- or a $16 million option, which is, that is a hefty price <laughs> for Jason Kipnis. So they will not pick that up. I don't if know. They do it stupid. Gonna... I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> no matter what kind of ending he has, really. I thought it was going to be like a qualifying offer or a little less or something, but that, that'll be the most he ever makes next season if they pick it up. So, Merritt, what's your what's your last meatball? Uh, so, I like Oscar Mercado a lot. Um, yes, he's so good. He's so, so, so good. I just I was, I was looking at the trade that they made for him uh, last year, 
what a robbery just uh <laughs> and, and this this is not my meatball but it was i, I let me look at this real quick John it, but it was yeah it was John Torres could be good but he's so far down mate exactly yeah we're, we're, we're talking about um what was it connor connor capel and john torres uh neither of which have made any impact on the uh, on the on the hopes and dreams of the Cardinals this year. Uh, Capel is in Triple uh, A Memphis right now, and he's hitting. I mean, he is hitting, but whether that is something or nothing, I don't know. He did not hit when he was in the in Double A, so who knows? But it, it's just it looks so good for the Indians, and I was w- trying to think of because you know I, that he's a flawed player still. He's only walked what like sixteen times in two hundred eighty seven plate appearances. It's not ideal. He strikes out a little bit much, uh, you know, eighteen percent basically of the time. Uh, he had a home run today as we record this. Uh, one for five with the with, with that one dinger was the to open the scoring for the Indians. He walked once as well. But I got to thinking, like, who is he? Right? Like, what is what what is a fair comparison for him? When I say fair, I mean something that, ma- that makes sense that you can kind of imagine a projected towards. And I realize it's Adam Jones, and I think I Ooh, feel really good. good about that. And I it's I don't know, I, just, I, just, I realized that you know maybe an hour or so ago. Adam Jones when he was twenty four. Oscar Mercado's age now hit 284, 325, 442, uh, right around where uh, Mercado is now. Mercado's showing a little bit more power, but you know he he never walked a lot. He always struck out between like 18 and 20 percent of the time. Uh, again, a flawed player, a good player, a great defensive outfielder at times, and uh, a key player for a long time for for what was a very good Orioles team, like every even year it seemed like. But like you know. They they always said like, who had the most wins I think in the American League between the years like 2011 and 2016 and it was the Orioles followed by the Indians so I don't know I just I that makes me feel really good about that pick because even if uh, either of those guys that they traded for him end up hitting having an Adam Jones on your team for the next six or eight years and if you can extend him and you know get him through his age 32 season or whatever you know when he was 32 you have uh, Adam Jones was hitting very well uh, he was. 132 was this past year, but you know, through his 29 season again, he was an above average hitter. He's hitting 32 home runs a couple of times there. That's the kind of player that I would hope to see out of. If he improves, great. If he t- learns to take a few more swing or not, take a few more pitches, I think he's at like three and a half pitches per plate appearance right now, which isn't a lot by any stretch of the imagination. But if what he is now is the baseline for what we can expect growth off of, hell yeah, man! And that's really cool. It's really cool that they found this player. Like you, you don't always find superstars like Jose Ramirez. Sometimes you just find these very good players. Yeah, and then, like speaking of Adam Jones, like think if they signed him this year, if they they were the team that did the three million dollar deal, yeah, they would have had a better outfielder at the beginning of the year. But now, as he's slowly declining, we probably wouldn't have seen like no. either Oscar Mercado at all or Oscar Mercado with consistent playing time. Because as much as we were all clamoring for him, he wasn't exactly like he was a one twenty nine WRC plus hitter in AAA. So that's like a you can leave him in the minors if you need to. He wasn't exactly like tearing the door down, but yeah, he wasn't demanding to be there. Yeah. Right, but the Indians are just so bad in center field, they had to do something, and they ended up bringing mm-hmm. him up, and he's been really good for him. So it's kind of just – I'm not going to use that as – I was not one of the people who wanted Adam Jones. I was happy they didn't get him. This isn't something I can really include in my dunk fest of being excited the Indians didn't do it, but it's just one of kind of those things. Like if they had signed him, we probably wouldn't have Oscar Mercado. Like who knows if he doesn't have this season, if he doesn't break out at all, like if this crushes his confidence or – the Indians just never end up using him consistently because they didn't get to see what they saw this year because they had to bring him up. But yeah, if he turns into Adam Jones, I mean, like his 2009 through 2017 seasons, like even if you take out that peak where he was super good in 2012, like that many seasons of a above average hitter and a really good defender, that's awesome. 
And I mean, you know, you can look at the batted ball profiles are pretty similar. Uh, Jones hit a few less line drives than uh, Mercado does, which if anything is a, is a tip in favor of Mercado being an even better player. But you know, it's, you know, it's all it's still so up in the air. We're still only, what, ha- half a season into his career. Uh, he's already dealt with a slump or two. Um, and we, there's definitely things that we wish he would do more of and do a little bit less of. But that's every single player, you know. I mean, it's it's uh, you can find flaws in every single player if you want. Uh, give me give me a, an hour and a half. I could probably find a flaw in Mike Trout's game, maybe. But I mean, at one point it was the strikeouts, but that's gone. So I mean, what right, are you going to do? Exactly right. But yeah, I'm sure you can find some. Like you have to dig down. Like he doesn't swing well at pitches the bottom outside of the zone in three two counts. There we go. We got it. We found it. <laughs> that's trash. a sweetness. Old trash. But you can always find something. I'm sure. Old trash trout, uh-huh. they call him. Old trash fish. <laughs> yep. So that'll do it uh, for our meatballs this week. I'll spare you from the the, Play the intro again. Hit it, baby. It's coming for you. Let me you hear that again. again. You want it? One more time. Oh yeah. Oh god. <laughs> meatballs. So good. Oh, god, um, yeah. Man, so moving dude. on to our our newsest <laughs> section of the podcast. Of course, the biggest news of the week was Trevor Bauer traded to the Reds um, in return for Franmo Reyes, Yasiel Puig, Logan Allen, and a couple of lower level prospects. Who, by the way, if you want to hear about Allen and the prospects, go ahead and check out Indians on Deck this week. They went way in depth with it, um, as they always do, looking at the the guys Indians brought back. So that was really nice. So we don't have to focus on those guys because we have enough with with the the, the two big guys the Indians brought back. But but first, I want to mainly talk about um, like Bauer. We're kind of a, in unique position because we didn't get to cover it right away because our pod they, they of course traded the day we released the podcast. But now we're a week later where there's some of the fallout that was that came from it. We can see it and step back from a little bit and see like kind of paint the picture of what happened in the. The, the last few days leading up to the trade and that kind of stuff. And it was kind of interesting that um, I, I'm pretty sure it was on last week's podcast where I said that I didn't think the, the throwing incident was a big deal at all, either to the Indians or to other teams. Um, I still think it wasn't all really to his trade value. I don't think it affected a whole lot, but it sounds like uh, between Bauer and Tito, there was a lot of tension between them. And this, this was just the last, <laughs> the last straw is was Tito or not Tito, but Bauer chucking a ball over the wall. Um, I think Tito yelling what the fuck is wrong with you was cathartic and he's something he wanted to yell for a very long time. So he finally got to yell it out in public at him. <laughs> um, he did. <laughs> and it was, um, if you listen to the A to Z podcast, which has Andre Knott, who's a sideline reporter for STO, he of course has a lot of behind the scenes stuff with him. He was saying that there was one point where, where Tito went out to supper with, or lunch or something with Trevor Bauer's dad. And he was trying to get like any way to get through to Bauer because he was just driving him nuts. And then he ended up telling Andre, um, you know, they say Apple doesn't fall from far from the tree. Trevor's dad is the fucking tree <laughs> because they're they're one and the same. I've heard him talk on other podcasts like they're the same person. If you're trying to get some way to to find a crack in Trevor Bauer's armor, you're not going to get it through his dad. They are the same kind of analytical. I was not going to say bone. What's the other word for headed when you're like strong headed? I guess I don't know. But they're yeah, bull-headed. they have their own way they're going to do things. Bullheaded. That's the one. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're very similar people. So there was it was a point where it sounded like those two were not going to. It was either trade them or it's not going to work out. I don't know if that maybe in some way that could affect the value because teams know that, but it sounded like it was just not good. And even compared to like a player that Tito loves, who was Michael Brantley um, saying goodbye, there was a post in the athletic that was um, a quote from Tito said, there are times when it's probably more difficult than others. That's probably safe to say last year when we talked to Brantley in his exit meeting, it wasn't a dry eye, his or ours. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it's not quite as emotional. <laughs> That's just being honest. So by all accounts, it sounded like they just said, Trevor, you're traded by <laughs> like, all the reports just said it was it was quick. It was over. He already knew he was traded by that point from his agent. So, so yeah, it, it seems like there's there was more behind the scenes, maybe not quite drama, but more tension than I think a lot of us or me. I, I can just say me didn't give credit to because I didn't think it would matter all that much. I thought maybe 
Tito just let him do his own thing and it didn't matter. But it sounded like Bauer really got um, annoyed. Tito, maybe even his teammates, there was talk like he would smash his own things and even his teammates' property, like when he was frustrated, which that's kind of crossing a line. You can be mad and pissy to yourself yeah. when you want, but don't be breaking shit. So, so yeah, it's we'll start with that, the whole aspect of, of Bauer and Tito and just Bauer's impact on the clubhouse, which I don't know. Did you see that coming? Like, did you think that it was that much behind the scenes or were you kind of like following more of the Clevenger Bieber? Like he's such a great teammate and they obviously love him. He's helping the pitching staff kind of thing. I mean, I always thought there was some thing, like you said, he's, he's always seemed like a kind of a tough guy to get along with. I don't know. This is what, just as a side of this is one of the reasons why I hate access journalism. I know he works for either the team or the network that broadcasts them, one of the two, but I hate when, when journalists like Andre Nott or whoever are like, yeah, man, there's way more going on back here. We'll never tell you. And I'm like, this is stupid. What do I care then? Why even mention it ever? Like mentioning a thing like that doesn't doesn't do anyone any doesn't do any good. It makes me and you, two outsider podcasters, have to talk about it from you know weird angles. Uh, now, all that being well, said, think, let me talk about it. Well, I was gonna say. Uh, uh, Go ahead. <laughs> no, one, one quick thing to that is I agree in general. I think that's terrible, but I think Andre Nott does better than most in that he sure he says that because he's already growing way further than he probably either should or has to. Like, right. there's and nobody I, else that would probably tell you about this tension between Bauer and Tito. And he also said that, like, when Bauer was traded, his exact quote was Andre is, I'm going to fucking Cincinnati of all places. Like, that's a terrible thing if that got to Cincinnati media. <laughs> like, the fact that yes. he said that, it's so it's, I think he does better. Andre Nott is really good about telling us things as far as he can, but he always hits that point where there's more that he can't tell us, which is no, obviously I, and I, I, I agree a lot of like, others. Like Tom Hamilton does that too by not saying things outright, but you can, if you really pay attention, you can read between the lines with, with a lot of these guys. Yeah. I didn't hate having to, I just hate having to do that. That's all. Just like, it's, it'd be nice if we knew what was going on. I mean, granted then, I don't know. I mean, do I want people reporting every little thing about what I do in my day-to-day life? No, no one wants to see that anyway. It's boring, but still uh, that all being said, I don't know. It, it makes perfect sense that someone like Terry Francona would clash heavily with Trevor Bauer and over time it would just snowball into a real issue because uh, Terry Francona is a an old school baseball type of a guy and Trevor Bauer is anything but. Uh, it's a little frustrating in a way that him quote unquote doing his thing, I, I don't know what that means. You know what I mean? Like, Is it just the smashing crap and stuff, that all, all the bad stuff or is it also his like disagreeing with pitching coaches and doing things like, like do we know if his taking you know clevenger aside and showing him the you know his flaws and the pitching coach didn't did, did this rub tito the wrong way so, and we don't know we don't know any of this stuff at all yeah it's it's a huge difference between if if the problem was his analytical stuff or his teammate property destroying <laughs> it's a very yeah, yeah. important distinction we didn't get to hear and it's it would be nice if we heard more about this sort of I don't like. I don't know if I really care actually about like the about like quote unquote palace intrigue within the clubhouse. Like what clicks is what, and who's getting along with who, and all that sort of stuff. We we always hear the you know the the the, the sweet good stuff like uh, like Mike Napoli taking Jose Ramirez under his wing, and uh, you know Juan Uribe doing the same thing with Ramirez and all this sort of a stuff, or uh, Lindor going into the meeting with Yandy Diaz uh, with Terry Francona. Uh, we don't hear the bad stuff, which is probably fair, uh, but that's part of the problem too. I think is that we don't we don't hear about this stuff. So so sometimes we get surprised when a trade happens, like when they trade Trevor Bauer, and it's about more than just money, basically. I, I care as far as if the problem was the analytical stuff. If like Tito had a problem with that, right. that he wasn't doing just what his pitching coach said, because if he really helped Bieber and Clevenger as much as he did, and I don't know if Bieber and Clevenger would be as bullheaded as Trevor was about doing it his way. Like if they. If Carl Willis is trying to tell them different things, like they have this information, they can help other pitchers coming up, and they're not able to 
yeah. just force their way into doing it like Trevor did. That's kind of a concern, I think. I don't care about the drama of the clubhouse either all that much, other than it's interesting sometimes to know what's going on. But yeah, but yeah, that's the only thing I'm concerned about is if Tito and the rest of the coaching staff is not on board with analytics. But I'd assume at this point they are. If- well, they have. Well, they have to be. It's just you know, they, like they, literally, they have to be because if they aren't, then the Indians aren't going to be any good. But I guess being unable to communicate that stuff is um would would be enough again we, again we're all just doing lots of wood possibly and maybe here i don't know what do right. you think that throwing the ball over the fence really had that much of an impact that the indians really needed outfielders and they had an opportunity to get friend Mio reyes and yasiel puig in addition to you know, those prospects at least one of which i think is gonna be pretty good for trevor bauer i think i think that's i think that's a deal you have to make i think it's a hundred um 100 times out of 100 kind of deal it's a, oh, yeah. it's a deal we've all been demanding for the last two yeah. years and they have all this pitching staff uh, talent and they and their ass and so many other aspects of the team, like use the strength you have, reduce it a little bit, and because it doesn't all matter that much in you know in the in the playoffs, you don't need five starting five ace starting pitchers really. So I don't know. I, I think I, the, I don't, they got a phenomenal deal for him, so I don't think it matters. Yeah. Like in that sense, is that if he was an angel or terrible, like if you get this yeah. deal, you take it. But I think it matters in the fact that like it sounded like it was Tito didn't like him very much anymore. <laughs> Because of everything, and yes. then doing something like this in public, it sounds like this was a manifestation of all the stuff he's done behind the scenes, and like to have it out in public now really annoyed Tito more than anything. That, that this guy who can't seem to keep his shit under control is now doing it on the field, and he even said like he had problems reeling everybody back in after it happened in the game itself. Because if you remember, the Indians sort of almost had a comeback a little bit, and then it sort of faded. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but it's not like that was a bigger distraction than we might think. And it was also after he was traded, he came back and did. He was just in the crowd. He was just standing there watching. And then he yeah, had his own so press weird. conference. That he, t- <laughs> he took everybody in the cafeteria and just answered his own questions. Like, And that I thought would be nothing. But then again, from Andre, it sounded like the players that didn't sit well with some of them, that it wasn't all. Like, it, it makes sense. It's an, it's an all Trevor thing. They're taking away from the game that, that they're working for and doing right now while he's parading around and answering questions in a cafeteria just because which serves nothing for the indians it's all trevor 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 which mm-hmm. it's a side of, of you know i listen to that podcast too. It's, a, it's a side of trevor bauer i never really thought about he always seemed not so much self-centered oh, self-centered in a way that he's more uh what's the word i'm looking for here i don't know like kind of a insular i guess uh he doesn't spend time thinking about other people because he's so focused on his own success because he you know as we've talked about before trevor bauer has been forged by his own efforts he's not the the specimen that some of these guys are he's put the work in to turn into something greater than i guess he was uh destined to be based on his physical gifts alone so i never really thought about him being some sort of borderline prima donna but then again like you said the way uh andre now talked it made it sound like it was something like that so I don't know. Uh, that, uh, I, uh, I saw that tweet that uh, Zach Mizell sent. I was like, Trevor Bauer's here. Here's a photo in the crowd. I'm like, oh, that's strange. That's that's a little bit silly. But and I did, and then I didn't. I, I didn't really think anything else of it. I thought maybe he was just checking out the game one last time before he was leaving. But then the fact that he turned into a whole media thing that was a little bit lame. Yeah. <laughs> and the last thing, um, I think I'm kind of, um, I don't know about reconnecting dots that may or may not be there. But so his his apology, everybody commended it after the throwing the ball thing, that it was very sincere and it was, there wasn't dancing around it or anything. But also in, in the Andre conversation, it sounded like Trevor didn't quite get, well, everybody was so pissed off about it mm-hmm. because he said he thought it was fine. And like, um, I should have listened again to get that quote, but it was, it was basically like Andre had to explain to him, like, this is why you fucked up and why it's so bad. So I think like Trevor's apology it shows how easy it is to do that when you don't have an ego about baseball or about like, it wasn't ego about baseball. It doesn't have an ego about 
uh, I don't know it's what way to describe public it. perception, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, because if you cared about like being this big tough guy, you wouldn't want to apologize. You want to say like just bullshit that they always do. But he, it's super easy just to say that I was wrong and I get it. I hurt my teammates. I shouldn't have done that kind of thing when you don't really care. And I think that's part mm-hmm. of what Trevor's thing is, is that he's really calculating all this. And he knew that's clearly obviously what you're supposed to do. So we did it. And I don't know if I mean, I, you can still commend him for doing it. I just don't know if it was sincere as everybody sort of thought up front because it's just sort of he took the PRness out of it and just said what you were supposed to, which most people don't do because they, they care so much about like crafting this perfect apology that that yeah. toes the line between not giving yourself too much blame or what, but he just took the route that that's the most obvious is just putting all the blame on yourself and move on. And then you're done. So I don't even know if that makes it more or less sincere or just more or less calculating in the way that makes sense. So you can get on with it, even if you don't agree with it. So we can move on to, to what the Indians actually got back, which was, of course, Fran Mo Reyes, Yasiel Pui, Logan Allen, and a couple of prospects. Logan Allen, I think, is is a pretty underrated part of it. He's a, a big lefty who, he was hitting 95 in AAA, and he maxed out at 96. He wasn't very good for the Padres this year, but he has a he has a chance to be something, I think. I think he's the and second of course, like, piece. Of like Fran Mo Reyes is going to be around. Second yeah, beat? No, well, yeah, because Puig's going to be gone. So Yeah, exactly. I, th- I think Puig is borderline a throw-in on this trade, honestly. Like, this is a move. <laughs> well, with with the value of, of rentals, I mean, yeah, it's not that big of a yeah. – a, a, he's a below-average hitter to this point, and nobody wants rentals anymore. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. He's a throw-in. It's just a more exciting throw-in than usual. Without a doubt. You couldn't have a more exciting throw-in than Yasiel Puig. No, we know that about it. This makes me think back to uh, – it was 2012 – the Indians made a three-team deal that involved the Reds, and they ended up with Trevor Bauer and Brian Shaw. <laughs> and I that thought that offers that turned out pretty great for them. Uh, the they they lost uh, Shinsu Chu in that deal. They also ended up with Drew Stubbs somehow. So it's just interesting to see them make another deal with their southern neighbors that is supposed to at least be this once again franchise shaping deal. Because getting a Trevor Bauer, who, again, turned into a borderline ace for them for a while, and was probably their ace for a bit this year. I don't know, what, what is an ace? Who knows? But that was Brian Shaw, also, of course, the central, a central piece in one of the best bullpens ever constructed in 2016. So if they can turn this into Fran Reyes being some sort of god at the plate, and then also Logan Allen being a, the first left-handed starter of any value they've had since Cliff Go Lee, on, I guess. Too. Cliffly, I would oh, say, I would, honestly, would be. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Well, it goes Cliffly, and then it goes like CC, yeah, Mitch Talbot or something. <laughs> if you go, if, if you go after Cliffly, like the, the the years post Cliffly when it comes to lefties for the Indians was harrowing to say Not the great. least. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but this is this is the kind of deal that you expect the Indians to make. They're frustrating deals in a way because they didn't. And I don't know if you read that article that uh, David Roth wrote in Deadspin about how everyone is behaving like the Mets except the Astros because they're trying to construct teams that are just good enough to get to the playoffs and hope everything goes for, works out for the best. And that is kind of what a deal, what this deal is. You're dumping a proven product for what is still a whole bunch of potential. And if it all works out well, then you're you know you're on easy street. But if it doesn't, then obviously you're um f'd in the a as it were no wait does roth actually prove that that's i didn't read that i, I saw you you post i should have read it but does he great does he prove that it doesn't work because no, that's not what the ones no, are he, doing no, i think that's not no terrible. no no he, he's not proving that it, he's not saying it doesn't work he's just saying that it's a stupid way of building a team that only enriches the owners basically is what it is it's a it's a method the owners are using to continue to tamp down uh money and it's a, a long-term kind of trickery that, that has been played upon fans to not expect 
teams to really go all out for things. And well, I mean, what's, what's going that, all out though? It doesn't do you that much. Have you, did, my point. did like, you see what the Astros did? Did you see what the Astros did? They win did? a world series yet with it though. <laughs> oh my God, Matt, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying like, it doesn't move. You don't win just because you got a big trade deadline acquisition. That's not a thing. No, if you just right. get into the playoffs and, and get hot, not, you can win. It's not just a single trade deadline though. It's, it's the fact that the Indians again, didn't resign Michael Brantley and went through half a season now with dead bodies in the outfield. They could have <laughs> spent money. They didn't. Instead, the Astros did, and they gave Michael Brantley a, a, a comparative pittance for what he is worth. And now and they, they have still might make the, the playoffs. Now, you, you're right. skipping that part. And they then still it, might make the playoffs, and they could still right. win the World Series. You're 100% right. And if everything goes right and they get a little bit lucky in the, in the playoffs, then they could win a World Series. If everything goes normally... For the Astros, even if they have hiccups, they are well placed to at least appear in a World Series and go up against another team that also, well, they, they do a different way. The Dodgers, I mean, but all I'm saying is, it's his whole point was they the teams are by and large behaving as though control is more valuable than actual proven talent. Oh yeah, I don't like that. Like that stupid quote the Blue Jays had. Right, exactly. Well, and he quotes That's that awful. guy. Yeah, we we turned seven years of control into forty two, and I'm like, yeah, great. What the what, what what does that do for me? And the Indians did turn a year and a half of control into a ton, basically. I mean, if you just go with Allen and Reyes, that's what eleven years of control, basically. So, which is you know again nice, and they also and they have all the other little guys too. But that all being said, I like the deal because they they dealt from a, a position of strength. And again, when you're talking about the Mets, it's different than talking about the Indians, I think. The Mets are simply a small market team that's that happens to play in a big market, and they should have more resources than they do. The Indians don't have these these benefits. So the Mets also don't know what the fuck they're doing. That's another. Like, well, that, that's that, they're that, also that's another terrible. That's another thing too. They're they're also poorly run, but they keep on you know pulling these teams together. So you 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 have an 85 win team, and if it all breaks right, then you have a 95 win team. The Indians have lucked out a yeah. lot the last several years. We, we can both agree on that. So. They're having a a shot now. Looks more like them them having a ninety eight win team because they they lucked into Lindor and Ramirez and that entire pitching staff. And I mean, I don't know. That was... Can you say they lucked in the players they drafted and signed and traded for? What and else then do you they do to also build a de- team. Well, they they lucked into them and in that they developed. First of all, what are we talking about, Jose Ramirez? Like that that was <laughs> that, that. And you're right. Maybe they developed him, <laughs> but sure they did. But like this was not supposed to happen, and it was. I don't know. All I'm saying is, it's they, they've been a very lucky team in all things considered. Why, like, why aren't other teams <laughs> developing a Shane Beaver or a Mike Clevenger? You know what I mean? Like, like wh- wh- where are, where are other teams? Like, what? Wh- how many teams are? I, I mean, know. if it was luck, wouldn't more that pop up more often? That teams just, I guess, sort of the Mets did it a few years ago. But but if it was yeah. pure luck, wouldn't it just be that this happens more often than the Indians have this stream of pitchers that seem to be great consistently? I, like I it seems like somewhere along the line they've done something right. Right. No, I agree with you. I, I, I 100% agree with you. I think that they are doing something right. We don't know what it is per se, but they've also gotten lucky with a lack of injuries up until this year and things of that nature too. And and things, guys maxing out, I guess. And that doesn't always happen. And maybe that is a developmental thing. Uh, you draft the right guy. You always, we always hear about makeup and stuff too. So maybe maybe I am poo-pooing the Indians' ability <laughs> to draft personality-wise a little bit. But well, all the same... I think that- the trade thing is the biggest one. Like all the teams, they rip off and get these guys that are yes, because they don't. They're not trading for a lot of like low A guys. They're getting guys who are like double and triple A who are about to come up, so they can keep like rapidly refilling their team is what they're doing now. For a while, they got like Klubers and Santanas and Carrascos, mm-hmm. um, and and got all these great trades that they do really well, which is beyond. I guess 
maybe that's it's hard to tell what's luck and what's them actually knowing what they're doing <laughs> like I mean, if, they're, if think, they did have bad luck are they just the Mets I don't know I think there's a little bit of luck to be had in who they well maybe it's not luck it's identifying weak points in other teams like for instance the Reds they're trying their they're general manager trying to keep his job and you know make a push for the playoffs this year because they've been rebuilding for a while now and their ownership's probably getting a little bit antsy and they're able to leverage that into friend meal reyes because they can turn this three-team deal in, into something that and also the, of course they have their fingers everywhere because you know the, the indians front office has been a breeding ground for um, executives across baseball now at this point if you didn't work for the indians basically you worked for the red sox at some point or yeah or the, the astros Oscar, i suppose or the astros basically yeah so well even the astros getting there well the astros you can draw a line directly back to the cardinals too because what because lunell worked for the cardinals um and well, didn't Walt Jockety work with the Cardinals too? Where he went over the Reds, so that's really what the those are the three main trees, I suppose. Cardinals. You can draw Indians, lines from the Cardinals back to the Astros to their database, and then you can do that. Well, true. It's a big old <laughs> circle, I suppose. A happy circle of of, of achievement. Happy circle of crime. Of yeah. Hey, a, that was some neat crime. Let's be honest here. It was hilarious. It was, yeah, it, it, because the, the password was like password or something like that. <laughs> and and Man, the, like, as far Indians, as like the trades and the oh, oh, go ahead go ahead no you go ahead I was just gonna say there's no more Stooges left is the big thing like there's well, it's the Indians Astros and Rays who seem to be like if you trade with them you're gonna lose and the the Astros we just saw with um Aaron Sanchez they just had him throw more curveballs and now he's amazing -er than before right well, so it seems like there's, there's gonna be fewer and fewer teams that they can just rip off and I'll be interested to see how they can handle that and if they can still be as good as they are well I don't. I don't think that they, they they pulled the wool over the eyes of the Reds necessarily. I think, again, they, they saw – I think there was a weakness there in the Reds' you know kind of power structure and stuff like that of a, of a team trying to hold on to a tenuous grip at a playoff spot and show some legitimate growth after you know several years in the wilderness because how long have the Reds been rebuilding now at this point, would you say? Three, and a half, three years, four years now? What's how tomorrow? August 5th? Uh, 70 years, 70, 75 years? No, I don't. it's been a <laughs> They haven't been good since like the middle. Fuck. When were they good? When, when, when was the, the last early twenty ten? Like it wasn't right? all that long ago. Yeah, when, when, I know they were, they lost that series to the Giants in twenty thirteen, but before that, it's uh, what do we got? That here? was like the start of the end, if not the tail end, was twenty thirteen. I think was that, like that was kind of the death knell. Yeah, so they've been bad <laughs> right. You can the, trace it with Bronson Arroyo, basically. Just follow 20, him, and that's where they go. Twenty fifteen was their first time in last place. Uh, they were in fourth the year before that. So they, yeah, they were in, they were first place team in two thousand twelve. Then third, fourth, fifth, 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 fourth. Now, so yeah, they've been real ostensibly you could call it rebuilding for five years, and that's that's too long. That at that point is just too many years spent being bad and them not cashing in and turning into something. So the Indians saw they've done that worse than like half assing it and. <laughs> right yeah. exactly yeah like they try and paper it over. and 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 that's what happens sometimes when you don't have a when you don't have a front office that has a firm grasp on things and a, and a clear vision too and i think the indians at least have that benefit of having a consistent line running all the way back basically to mike hart uh when, when you know when the and then during the move over to progressive field the reds don't really have that so much with their new um management and all this like they had walt jockety for a while but that all fell apart Who's a general? Dick Williams has been there for a while now, and he just needs to show some improvement. So you, when you do that, sometimes you make a rash decision that was trading away one of the top prospects, and the Indians were able to take advantage of that and turn that into something else. So I think that might be the new, um, what, do you, what would you call that? A, a market inefficiency they're able paradigm? to exploit. Oh, yeah. Uh, or, or paradigm, sure. 
their their ability to take advantage of people showing weakness. <laughs> Basically, that's what they're going to start doing. I'm going to get more and more uncomfortable with it. So yeah. And I would propose to you and David Ross that um that like so the the Reds doing this in the off season, signing Derek Dietrich and trading for Yasiel Puig. Like that's yeah. that's what people want, right? They spend a bunch of money, they got a bunch of players, and look how it turned out. And then like a couple of years ago, there was the Padres that did that. Like you can't just go oh, from yeah, nothing sure. and grab a bunch and be good. And I don't no, know you're, if you're being right, really good but, and adding more does much. But going, the, the Indians haven't been going from nothing since 2015. Now, have they? They've they've had a stacked rotation, and they've had at least one MVP candidate in the in, you know playing for them, and then. Once again, for thirty-two million dollars, they could have had a man who is currently hitting do, 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 320, 379, 516, and that's after he went like oh for whatever with the against the Indians a couple days ago. He would he would be the second best hitter on the Indians. I think I mentioned it in an earlier podcast that there would have been four or five Indians players, or there there are four or five former Indians from last year that would all have been better than every single hitter on the Indians right now playing elsewhere in baseball right now. Now that would mean they wouldn't have Carlos Santana, which would suck. But if they could have Carlos Santana still and still Edwin Encarnacion and Michael Brantley, then we wouldn't have had two and a half months of heartache, basically. And we're fixing that now. They're 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 fixing that now by trading away Trevor Bauer, but not having to do that and have a more of a behemoth, more of a juggernaut, and you know make moves that actually have an impact for the whole season rather than just in the second half, and also hope for. A, couple weird hot streaks like the indians had i think that would be i think that's better for us as fans than um what they did now mayor would they they could have spent they could have got michael brantley or they could have spent four and a half million dollars on danny salazar which they did damn dude <laughs> brings damn. us to our next great topic <laughs> of good lord danny salazar that was a waste of fucking money um he pitched four innings he came back finally from his numerous arm injuries um, he looked awful, like not even just his stats. He just <laughs> he looked, looked bad. physically awful. He looked <laughs> <laughs> He looked ill. Like he, he was Zach Meisel said that a good point that it just doesn't look max effort. Like you see players like Trevor Bauer, Mike Clevenger pitch, they're just like, Ugh! and they're fully into it. And Daniel's just like lobbing the balls up there. And he looked like a little bit out of shape. Like you just, I don't know, man. Like, it was weird. The hair was great. It was on point. The beard was good, but there was something off. It looked like a little bit of a like a beard. Uh, maybe his jersey was just a little bit baggy. I, we're, we're used to him wearing a. He used to wear much tighter clothes, basically, and he just looked a little bit sloppy. I suppose. I watched. It, I was like, uh, is that how we that, fix him? Was, we tighten up his clothes a bit. I guess <laughs> that so, leads yeah, the velocity. Yeah, maybe, it's the drag. Yeah. <laughs> God, you're terrible. Yeah, he topped it, out it, at what was the top like eighty eight point nine, and he barely struggled yeah. to get that. Oh God, he looked so terrible. Curveball is good. <laughs> Well, sure, if you can to... differentiate from him as fastball. 74 <laughs> like mile an hour curveball. Statcast didn't know what his slider was. And then, no. <laughs> like it, there were reports that he was a 92-93. And if he could stay that with his changeup, maybe you can make it work. But if he can't hit yeah. 87 consistently, there he's done. There's I would be shocked if he pitches again for the Indians this season. There's like no they said he's not even working out point. with the team. Right, yeah. like he. This was your chance to get him back in enough time to be good for the playoffs, and you missed that window. Like I would, I, I prefer to see... Plezak or maybe not Plezak. I just I, I can't get I can't do that. Savale would be fine. Uh, Jeffrey Rodriguez if he can make it back. I'd I'd prefer to see any of these guys, even if none of them could seem to get strikeouts. All of them have weirdly. All those young guys have a weirdly very similar strikeout rate. And it's confusing to me to say the least. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, Danny looked so bad, and I mean it. It had to happen, I guess. Like that we needed to see him pitch this year 
Um, this was the most expensive. Worst was that the most expensive four what four innings ever? Maybe. <laughs> no, that has to be a million. Prorate that out if he got paid that million, much in four innings. A million two <laughs> like per a billion inning. dollar contract. <laughs> Actually, that's it's not great, out. Bob. How, how many innings? Let's see. Calculator, help me out here. One point two times. 200 that's a 240 million dollar a year contract let's figure that over five years there we go that's a billion dollars 1.2 billion dollar contract <laughs> for a guy that can't throw 89 you, you did it in right, so you did a good job how many wins above replacement would you have to earn for that to be a valuable contract let's see if you figure eight eight point five million dollars per uh win on average on the free agent market 28.2 28.2 wins above replacement. I did that in a video game once with a with a, with a second baseman. I, I made 108 pitcher, home runs. <laughs> you got to be it's a two way player at that point, right? Yes, 100. Yeah. percent You you you'd have to pitch every. All right. Well, when he was with the let me think about this. When he was with the the Brewers, CC Sabathia. How much was he worth when he was pitching every like third day, basically? That was. Um, where are you? Where are you? Damn it. They won't separate it out for me. Stupid fan graphs. I'm going to have to use baseball reference. CC Sabathia. We're doing baseball stuff here, folks. I'm looking up stats even as we talk. Remember CC Lee? Let's talk about that while I, while I try and find these numbers. All right. So so he was worth 3.9 wins above replacement in 17 games. I don't even know how to do that math. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'm not really sure. He threw like 250 innings that It's a lot. That's the other thing. That's what we're getting at. I believe basically the combo is an ass load of innings is how many he'd have to pitch. <laughs> We've run the numbers. That's an ass load. Yeah. yeah we, we figured it out, boys. Way, we cracked the code. Yeah. Shit loads. That's how, that's how many innings he had to throw. 400 <laughs> innings or something. He'd have to throw a third of the season. Basically, what was... All right. What was Charles Radborn worth when he was, when he was pitching every single old Haas Radborn? Well, he pitched. He started 60, 60 games. No, I'm sorry. He started seventy five games in eighteen eighty four, and he was worth nineteen. Wow, he pitched five hundred innings for the Bean Eaters. <laughs> Six hundred seventy eight innings in eighteen eighty four. Still only yeah. nine point five wins. <laughs> uh, God damn! So lots, lots and shitloads. Lots basically, shitloads. Yeah. yeah, that's what we're yeah. doing. It's not good. But yeah, it's so put a percent on it. What do you think the chances are we see our boy Danny Salazar anywhere with the Indians this season? There's no point in it, right? Like there's just, there's literally no point in it. Just give him the money, let him yeah. go have a nice vacation. Yeah, and I mean I, they're, they're not even sending him to Arizona. <laughs> like they said, Terry Francona in the pregame show said that he was telling Danny, "We're out of room down there, so you can just go home and come back when you're feeling good." Which that is not what hilarious. you say to a star pitcher when you want him to come back. You know, between that and like the things that he uh, the, and his attitude towards like Trevor Bauer and stuff, I think Tito's a bit more prickly than I give him credit for. He seems like a just a saucy old guy. Jeez, I mean, and maybe I mean, he has a he tomato is. sauce. Like, so that's true. You even think about that. It is. That's, that's where that's where the saucy comes from. Yeah, I think Damn I think that's part of his charm too. For a lot of people, probably is that he's snarky. Uh, maybe is that is that he's so prickly? Snarky. I guess it's just the thing. Like some people, yeah, yeah it's it's endearing to snarky a lot of and a little bit. Uh, you know, he's a little bit. He's a straight shooter, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, and when you're a guy yeah. that he likes, I'm sure he's like a like to Brantley. He's just probably a big cuddly bear to him. So, oh, I definitely am. That's probably good. So, it's um, it's nice to see it happen because we needed to see evidence of him existing. <laughs> now we can never see it, it again. This was definitely the worst 
possible outcome. And now it's happened and we can move on with our life. Is that the single weirdest night in a long... I can't think of like a weirder outing or something for a player for the Indians in a long while. Um, I don't think it'll be remembered for that because it wasn't like big and flashy, but like seeing the radar gun constantly be 87, everybody just freaking the hell out at once was pretty, that was something cool to be a part of in a way, because <laughs> I don't think we'll see something quite like that again. Uh, if it had happened in Cleveland, I think uh, Corey Kluber breaking his arm earlier this year probably would have been a weirder oh, yeah, when time tried to flip the ball. in a way. Yeah. But now this is probably the weirdest one, just because. What the fuck? <laughs> like that's what it's just, <laughs> like I said before, it couldn't have gone worse. It, 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 there's zero. There's zero. It, there, it literally could like, not have gone any worse. I can say that it, word now and mean it. <laughs> so that's it's nice that we've seen that. I suppose you know, like we've seen yeah. the, the the absolute bottom of the well, and all that's down there is four and a half million dollars. And an arm that can't throw them over 90. And it, that's not even Josh Tomlin. <laughs> it's not even Josh Tomlin this time. <laughs> All right, Merritt. That's going to do it for our show this week. Um, if you're still listening now. I'll say this one last thing. I'm sorry. I-, I love listening to Rick Manning when things are going really bad. for, for the Indian, Like when something <laughs> fucked up like that is happening. Because you can hear him going. You can hear his voice going, oh, crap. This is really bad. He's like, <laughs> it's just... Like I remember when, when Carlos Carrasco was uh, every now and then he'd have that weird hitch where he'd start throwing the ball over to a like first base, like oh like yeah, he just, he just got constantly. like stuck doing that, yeah, yeah. It's just like what is Carlos? What is Carrasco doing out there? It's just, just <laughs> he just doesn't know what to do with himself. That's great. <laughs> Once it gets sideways, Rick just kind of starts freaking out, and I love it. And that was just <laughs> from the get go. I, I actually I, I, I turned the, I turned that game on and I went to the bathroom real quick. And I came out and was already one to nothing. I went, ah, oh, crap. And then I saw the speed gun. I was like, oh, no, double no. So, yeah. That was my that was reaction. Great time. Yeah. Great time. Anyway, that's all. All right, Matt. So we'll talk to you next week. And maybe we won't oh, have yeah. any more Danny Salazar collapses. So maybe we will. Who knows? See you then. Yeah.